Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we track weird and wonderful science in your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this vaccine and surveillance edition... We cover the good news and the bad news, from promising treatments for COVID-19 through to the persecution of Julian Assange and the privacy violation of the Australian census. Universal COVID Vaccines Researchers around the world are developing vaccines that will protect against all coronaviruses, present and future, by targeting parts of the virus that are the same in all variants. Coronaviruses can't evolve past the mechanisms they use to enter cells or reproduce, so these parts are common. Cambridge University is using a new DNA-based technology to target these parts of the virus that can't mutate, to produce a universal coronavirus vaccine. The Cambridge approach is to use a database of the genetic sequences of all known coronaviruses, including from bats, to identify commonalities and then use software to generate synthetic antigens, proteins that cause an immune response in our bodies. They test the synthetic antigens for an immune response that targets coronaviruses but doesn't cause the kind of hyperinflammatory immune reaction that leads to people being hospitalised with COVID-19. These synthetic antigens can then be inserted into mRNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna or into DNA adenovirus vaccines like AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson or into protein-based vaccines like the Abdallah vaccine made in Cuba and the Novavax vaccine made in America. For their Phase 1 safety trials, researchers are using a freeze-dried powdered DNA vaccine that can be stored and used at room temperature. They also used a high-pressure airburst to push the liquid vaccine through the skin without leaving a hole, instead of using needles. This needle-free pressure injector was developed by the American company Pharmajet. Cambridge Diocinvax are also using the synthetic antigen technology to develop universal vaccines against all influenza and all hemorrhagic fever filoviruses. If the Cambridge approach isn't successful, there are many other groups around the world working on different approaches to a universal coronavirus vaccine and universal influenza vaccine. Almost as good as a cure. Researchers from the Menzies Health Institute Queensland at Griffith University are developing a treatment for people suffering from COVID-19 that stops the virus from replicating using CRISPR-Cas13 technology. CRISPR-Cas9 technology was famous for several years as a precision tool for cutting and pasting DNA for genetic engineering. The Queensland researchers are using the latest version of the tool, CRISPR-Cas13, to cut out the virus's replication machinery, which stops it in its tracks. The treatment is expected to work against all coronaviruses, including 
any new mutations that evolve. The team encapsulate their gene-silencing small-interfering RNA in fatty lipid nanoparticles. These are injected into the body, where they seek out coronavirus and destroy its genes. In hospitalised people who have trialled the treatment, it eliminated all coronavirus from their lungs. The nanoparticles are stable for a year when kept at 4 degrees Celsius in a refrigerator and for longer than a month at room temperature. Because it targets the coronavirus DNA precisely, it doesn't hurt human cells, so there's no side effects. The researchers say it's not a cure because it only eliminates 99.9% of the virus, but it's almost as good. The researchers suggest that the treatment would be used as an injection that would be delivered daily for someone in intensive care for four or five days, or as a single injection for someone who just tested positive from exposure to the virus. It could also be given to people going through hotel quarantine. The target-seeking gene-silencing technology can also be engineered to target other viruses, like influenza and HIV, so the CRISPR treatment may end up being a specific treatment for many other virus plagues. The paper was titled, A SARS-CoV-2 Targeted SIRNA Nanoparticle Therapy for COVID-19, and was published in the journal Molecular Therapy. It's not dead. Last year, the promising Queensland University molecular clamp COVID vaccine was squashed because it produced a false positive on a commonly used AIDS diagnostic test. The vaccine was otherwise proved to be safe and possibly more effective than those from AstraZeneca or Pfizer. The problem was that their molecular clamp was made from two fragments of a protein found in HIV. The team had been quietly trialling 20 alternative protein fragments that wouldn't confuse any diagnostic tests if they can work as well as the HIV protein fragment clamp. The molecular clamp held together a coronavirus protein for the immune system to recognise. The replacement molecular clamps will have to go through animal trials before they can go for new phase 1 safety trials in humans, which is as far as last year's molecular clamp vaccine got. The current development doesn't have the big government push it did last year, so the going is much slower, and may need a few years. However, like all these new vaccine technologies, molecular clamps can be designed for any virus. So once it's gone through all the clinical trials, the molecular clamp vaccine can be used for future COVID vaccines or for any virus we need to protect against. Our body is just like a little country that has been invaded by an enemy army. But the enemy in this case is not big soldiers. This invading army is so tiny that it can be seen only through a microscope. Its soldiers are the germs of communicable disease. Some of these disease-causing organisms are so small that they cannot be seen even with the most powerful microscope. They are detected only because they can pass through the tiny holes of this filter. A communicable disease is one which can be caught from someone else. This means that the germs have to leave the body of a sick person and enter the body of one who is well. As individuals and as a community, we can do many things to halt this movement of germs and prevent the spread of disease.
we can do much to prevent the spread of disease by keeping away from those who are sick. Common sense tells us to stay away from indoor crowds whenever communicable diseases are prevalent. Always call the doctor early whenever a communicable disease is suspected. Early treatment may lessen the severity of the sickness and halt its further spread. It is the duty of anyone suffering from a contagious disease to remain at home until the doctor feels it is safe for him to go out among other people. Some diseases such as smallpox, diphtheria, and typhoid fever could be wiped out entirely if each and every one of us took advantage of the time-proved protection offered by vaccination and preventive inoculation. One of our best weapons in preventing the spread of disease is cleanliness, which is particularly important when there is a communicable disease in the house. Every step we take to prevent the spread of disease means increased happiness and greater living efficiency for all of us. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now, some bad news. Assange extradition appeal. The US Department of Justice was caught out corruptly spying on Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy, listening in on his legally protected conversations with his lawyers, stealing his legal documents, copying the contents of the phones of all of his visitors, and sending video and audio streams of his medical consultations and every waking and sleeping moment back to the USA, including cameras and microphones in the women's bathroom. The videos of lawyers' conversations, his medical examinations and other things have been leaked to the press. So it definitely happened. In both the UK and the USA, this violation of confidentiality would normally cause the case of any prosecution to be thrown out. However, District Judge Vanessa Baretza didn't allow the evidence for surveillance to be admitted because the Spanish company that the US employed to commit this crime were being prosecuted in Spain. She ruled it couldn't be admitted as evidence while that prosecution was happening. A year of COVID later... And it's still happening. The US Department of Justice was caught out corruptly fabricating all of the evidence of its superseding indictment, which completely relied on its star witness, convicted conman and pedophile Sigurdur Thordeson. Mr Thordeson has now admitted that he lied about all of his testimony and has provided the press with extensive evidence to demonstrate this fabrication. In both the US and the UK... If the star witness upon which not only the prosecution relied, but also the judge in her decision, had confessed to lying because he was bribed by the prosecution, the prosecution's case would be thrown out. However, District Justice Vanessa Baretza has instead ignored it completely and granted the US Justice Department leave to appeal her decision not to allow Julian Assange to be extradited to the USA because he would be tortured to death there. He's been held without charge in Britain's maximum security Belmarsh prison, being tortured by the British, for over two years. The US Department of Justice corruptly promised Julian Assange can return to serve jail time in Australia 
After all avenues of appeal have been exhausted over several decades of torture in the US. Unless the US changes its mind once he's in their custody. The US Department of Justice has a history of promising not to torture people to get past EU and British laws against sending people to receive inhumane treatment and then changing their minds to torture them anyway after those prisoners are in US custody. A reminder that Julian Assange would be extradited to be charged with 17 counts of treason under the US Espionage Act. The Espionage Act has only ever applied to US citizens. And Julian Assange is an Australian citizen. All of the 17 charges rely on the evidence that Julian Assange said curious eyes never run dry when asked if he'd like to see newsworthy documents by Chelsea Manning. And that when Chelsea Manning offered to give WikiLeaks evidence about torture in Guantanamo Bay, Assange said, great. That's it. That's the entire US Department of Justice case evidence against Julian Assange committing treason against a government he doesn't belong to in 17 counts against the Espionage Act. Needless to say, the Espionage Act violates the US Constitution's freedom of speech. This law is being tested in the courts by 90-year-old Daniel Ellsberg, who was indicted 50 years ago under the Espionage Act for leaking the Pentagon Papers about Richard Nixon's war crimes. He was acquitted when his lawyers showed that the US Department of Justice had corruptly spied on his legally protected conversations with his lawyer. He's now deliberately published some previously unknown crimes by President Richard Nixon to have his day in court and tear down the Unconstitutional Espionage Act. Julian Assange would also be extradited for a charge under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which was written before the internet existed. The only evidence the US Department of Justice had for that charge is a fabricated testimony they bought from Sigurdur Thordeson in return for immunity from prosecution for committing financial fraud against WikiLeaks and others and sexually abusing children. So District Judge Baretza has decided to give the US Justice Department leave to appeal despite their illegal behaviour and complete lack of evidence that Julian Assange has committed any crimes and despite their full admission that they plan to torture him as soon as he's in their custody. President Joe Biden could stop this appeal for extradition to torture, just as he could stop the US government from torturing people altogether. But he won't. Hello, I am from the British government with a fabulous announcement. No, I'm sorry, we still haven't sorted out this bleeding show. But we have finally managed to arrest our most wanted criminal. No, the other one. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Once we're done, we'll extradite his skippy off to Virginia to face a grand jury. Because we're America's yeah, baby. We'd like to thank all who aided us in this operation, especially the Ecuadorian government. Hola, I'm from the Ecuadorian government, and I'm here to confirm that our new president is America's too. That is why he agreed to cancel Harry Hacker's political asylum and let pigs enter our embassy to arrest him. ¿Será que nos pueden dar nuestro crédito el FMI ahora, por favor? Hello, I'm from the Australian government. Since Mr. Assange is our citizen, we feel compelled to state in the strongest possible terms that we're America's too. That's why both of these stains will leave him up creek without a paddle. After all, we're the same who are prosecuting whistleblowers and banning encryption to make it harder for journalists to expose our Hello, I'm from the US government. We're grateful to all our 
is for handing over David Letterman, I mean Julian Assange, who is wanted on charges of making us look like war criminals. Which of course we are. We have indicted the accused for the crime of helping his source to anonymously access documents in the public interest, otherwise known as good journalism. Journalists, of course, are not supposed to be good. They're meant to be weak on questioning stenographers who publish what we tolerate. By extraditing a foreign journalist, we hope to send a clear warning to all journalists not to mess with our We ask all of you to cooperate with us in setting this dangerous precedent by focusing on how the accused is a bit of an instead of our attempt to destroy your press freedom. American Empire. Authorized by the United of America. Thanks to the Juice Media, and to support the Juice Media, join their Patreon at patreon.com slash thejuicemedia. And finally, the Australian Census returns this year. The last census was in 2016, and it was very controversial, triggering a Senate inquiry and an Australian-wide boycott. First, the census was conducted using services from IBM, who didn't allocate enough resources for everyone in Australia to log on when we were told to. So the system was overwhelmed very quickly. But IBM thought they saw evidence of a denial-of-service attack rather than everybody logging on at once, so they shut the whole census website down and kept it down. Which meant that Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was caught out lying when he claimed to have filled in his census form online when the system was shut down. The bigger problem was that the new head of the Australian Bureau of Statistics, David Kalish, changed the rules completely. First, he quietly updated the Australian Bureau of Statistics website to declare that he decided to keep people's names and addresses with their census data forever. Then he declared that the Bureau of Statistics would now link up this identified information with every single formerly separate piece of pharmaceutical, welfare, tax and other data held by the Australian government about you, creating a giant database just begging to be inevitably abused. This database was stored on American web servers on American soil where US law allows them to be copied by the US government. Totally different to this year's census when we're using Amazon web servers on American soil. When people expressed concern at this invasion of privacy and that their personal data would be used for purposes they didn't consent to, kind of the basic privacy principles of Australia, David Kalish threatened us all with $180 per day fines for every day our census forms were late. As a result, the public trust was destroyed. The census relies on public trust for people to feel safe to give up their most private secrets for the greater good of evidence-based policy. A lack of trust leads to a much lower quality of data, ruining the statistics. Many people were so scared and angry that they boycotted the census altogether by refusing to fill it out, or by being out of their homes camping when it was on, or by using light blue ink that can't be read by machines. The basic principles of privacy are not secrecy, but control of your personal information. 
you can be asked for your personal data for research purposes, which is what the census is. The privacy laws say it can only be collected for a specific purpose, which you must be told, and you get the choice to consent to the collection or to say no. If the collectors decide on a new purpose for your personal data, they have to inform you and ask you nicely for your consent again. You have an option to opt out of this new purpose and say no. It's your data. But this is not how the census works from 2016 onwards. A big database with your name and address and private information is a goldmine for identity thieves. You'll be asked your religion, but it's, it's an optional question. Under threat of fine, if you put Jedi, as many atheists did in the last few censuses, then you'll be counted as other, which helps the government justify spending your money on churches. If you don't believe in the supernatural, then please mark no religion, regardless whether you are raised religiously. Contrary to some nasty campaigns spreading from the Christian right wing, the government doesn't want to know your birth religion, just whether you believe or not, and whether you regularly attend a church or temple. In 2006, the Australian Bureau of Statistics secretly kept the names and addresses of 5% of the population without their consent for a longitudinal project to be released to the public after 99 years for historical value. Or, you know, next week if they change their mind. On social media, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is gaslighting people that express concern about this violation of privacy by saying they've collected names and addresses since 1911, when in reality those details were destroyed when they weren't needed to store the data. In 2001, it was an option to add your name and address, not compulsory as it became in 2016. Australian laws around privacy were written in response to previous public concern about the census since 1971. Every time the government had to rein in the Australian Bureau of Statistics by enacting legislation to force them to destroy people's names and addresses while keeping the statistical data. Your name doesn't have statistical value because there's only one of you. David Kalish, the head of the ABS, claimed he'd been given legal advice that he was empowered to violate that principle, but refuses to show it. Former heads of the ABS have argued publicly that it's wrong to destroy people's trust and get poor quality data. The Australian Bureau of Statistics had 14 data breaches between 2013 and 2016, which is a lot. As a result of the Senate inquiry, the government is using Amazon's web servers instead of IBM, but the violations of Australian privacy laws don't seem to have been addressed. Next week, I'll speak about these issues with Tom Sulston, Deputy Chair of Human Rights Watch. And from 2016, here's the Honest Government ad about the census. Australia, are you ready for Census Day? The census is important. It enables the government to make wise policy decisions for the future. Just kidding. As if we'd do that. In the past, we had a deal. You agreed to give us your personal information and we agreed to record it anonymously. This made it safe for you to complete the census truthfully. This year, we'll be doing things differently. For the first time ever, we'll be conducting the census online and demanding you provide your name and address, which will be stored along with your answers and your IP address forever. Now, you might be thinking this all sounds super dodgy, but... <gasps> Look over there, a rare Pokemon.
Oh, you're still here. Okay, it might sound dodgy, but there's no need to worry. Your personal data will be tote safe with us. We take privacy seriously. That's why our state-of-the-art servers have only been hacked 14 times in the past three years. And we will not sell or share your collected data with anyone else. We're not like Facebook. No, at least with them you made the choice to let them mine your data. With us, it's mandatory. So relax. This new census policy is just to make sure we can provide better tailored services in the future, such as easily identifying Muslim households and other persecuted minorities once full-blown fascism comes to Australia. So get on board. We don't want anyone to miss out on the biggest invasion of privacy ever perpetrated on the Australian population. That's why we'll fine you $180 for each day that passes without completing your census. Of course, you could boycott this census or request the paper form where you can choose not to provide your name. That would send a clear signal that you have finally had enough of the ongoing attack on your privacy. <laughs> but we know that you don't give a shit about privacy. Census Day. Get in line on August 9 or get a fine. Authorised by the Australian Bureau of Statistics for the Fulfilment of Orwellian Prophecies. And you can support The Juice Media at patreon.com slash thejuicemedia. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show if you enjoy the show you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash Diffusion Radio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. 
Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.